When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Stressed about your bladder? You're not alone. Millions of women are affected. Bebron's Divine is the solution. An intervaginal medical product, easy to use like a tampon, completely invisible, with daily continence control, giving you the freedom to laugh, cough, run without leakage. Divine is available online at lloydspharmacy.ie and in stores nationwide. Take control with Divine. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Talking Points, the podcast by Planet F1. Today we're going to be discussing the uh, 2021 Portuguese Grand Prix. By we, I do mean, of course, myself, Finley Kroboda, and the Planet F1 editor, Michelle Foster. Michelle, how's it going? Good morning, Finley. No complaints. Monday morning, post-race, all good? Yeah, well, let's get into it. I mean, I think it's fair to say when, uh, when Portimao returned to the calendar this year, it was it proved to be a pretty popular edition, you know, after last year's race, which, um, yeah, it was a decent one. But uh, then ultimately, we got a bit of an anticlimax on our hands, didn't we? We did, unfortunately. Like you say, when, when we got told the, the circuit would be back, everyone was quite excited. I mean, last year, it was just quite an entertaining track. But this year, it just it fell short. I mean, if it wasn't for the DRS out of the final corner heading towards turn one, um, I think we might have had one, maybe three passes the entire Grand Prix. Uh, so it really did highlight what DRS brings to the sport, but unfortunately it also highlighted where Formula One is falling short. Um, the drivers were complaining afterwards about how slippery the track was. And I mean, Max Verstappen, who loved the circuit last year, finished second this year and yet said, please don't bring us back here. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was a strange run. I mean, like you said, I think, everything interesting that happened really after the start and the safety car restart did happen at turn one you know uh, Verstappen passed Bottas somewhere else on track but that was just because of a mistake for Bottas really so yeah um well I think the only place to start looking at the race is the fight for the lead which um yeah is a funny one because we say it was a pretty dull race but I mean we did have at one point all four of the uh, drivers in Red Bull and Mercedes were leading the race. Obviously, Bottas started in pole, ha- stayed there, looked pretty comfortable for a while. And then Hamilton obviously ended up finding grip after the restart, passing Verstappen and Bottas. Perez led for quite a while. Um, yeah, I mean, first things first, just looking at the cars, Red Bull v Mercedes, it looked like advantage Mercedes for the first time this year, really, didn't it? It does, but I'm not 100% sure if it's advantage Mercedes or advantage Lewis Hamilton. I mean, Valtteri Bottas went from first to third in a race where you say, well, you start on pole position, you back up the field enough that Max Verstappen attacks your teammates, and yet you still don't you still don't walk away with the win. So I think he's got a lot to be disappointed by. I know Toto Wolff has since come out and said Mercedes let him down. But yeah, I don't think I don't think Bottas was pretty much in the mix. So it's Hamilton versus Max as as the battle there. But you're right, the Mercedes card looked 
it just looked like they found that little bit extra ahead of the Red Bulls. But it could also be a fact that the track suits them more. I mean, Red Bull said several times in the build-up and on Sunday morning that this is a Mercedes track. And, yeah, Lewis Hamilton proves it's also a Lewis Hamilton track. I mean, as soon as he found grip after the after the safety car restart, um, there wasn't really a point where I thought he's not going to win this. You know, he passed Verstappen, uh, passed Bottas, just flew around the outside like it wasn't even there. Uh, which must be pretty demotivating. I mean, yeah, in terms of, yeah, if we do assume the Mercedes was the stronger car, then you're looking at, you know, the battle really should have been Hamilton and Bottas. And yeah, like on so many occasions, Hamilton was just, just another level, really. Um, and yeah, obviously, the title fight, you know, we all assume is going to be Hamilton v Verstappen instead of Hamilton v Bottas. Looking at Max's race, P2. Given, you know, given uh, the car he was in and the car Mercedes had, do you think that's all in all a pretty, pretty decent result for him? Yeah, I think Max can walk away from from Portugal feeling quite happy with his result. Like you say, he was P2. He would have had the fastest left point if he hadn't uh, run wide, which is turning out to be a bit of a problem for Max. But it was it was in general a bit of a scruffy weekend for him. He should have been on pole position, but a gust of wind, which and the wind did seem to affect the Red Bull a lot more than it did the Mercedes. Uh, a gust of wind basically cost him pole position because he went wide at turn four on on a lap that I think would have been a tenth up on Bottas's pole position time. So he can kind of feel a bit robbed by that situation. But I mean, at the end of the day, track limits are track limits. Um, and then yeah, in the Grand Prix as well, he walked away. I think it's eight points behind Hamilton. It could have been seven. But you know what? It it could have been a lot more as well if if Bottas had had a better day. So I think Max has has reason to be happy with the, his result. Like you said, it was a pretty scruffy weekend for him. Um, but you know, to come out of that still getting P2 ahead of one Mercedes, it's not half bad really. Uh, in terms of track limits, though, that is, a, it's get it, it, that. I mean, you know, this weekend he lost pole position and he lost an extra point because he was exceeding track limits. Um, I mean, that is it is becoming a bit of a concern. And I don't know, it feels like in three races this year, we've already spoken about track limits more than we did for the entirety of last season. But it's a bit ridiculous. I mean, the drivers are told where the track limits were. On Saturday, Michael Massey updated them and specifically mentioned turn 14 in his, in his update. So when Max came out and said, but I didn't know they were policing turn 14, well, it's kind of like... Perhaps you should have read the notes, lad, and maybe then you would have you would have kept it a bit more on the track. And I get these drivers are pushing their cars as hard as possible, and there are a lot of people who feel that today's circuits actually aren't quite equipped for, for what the Formula One cars can do. But the rest of the field is managing to keep it in the limits. The rest of the field isn't losing pole positions and fastest lap points. And heavens forbid, come the end of the season and Max loses the title by a single point, he really will have no one but himself to blame. No, no. And then, yeah, it, it feels like Red Bull just kind of forgot to go over that. You know, because like Christian Horner was complaining after the race about, you know, the lack of consistency in track limits. And it's like, well, that, that you know, that's not the case. They made it pretty clear what they're policing and what they're not. I mean, and yeah, I don't I feel like, I think Sonoda exceeded track limits quite a lot. But um, apart from that, I don't think it was too much of an issue for the grid, really, this weekend. It's just, yeah, Verstappen just 
couldn't keep it on track. Um, it is a bit of a concern for him, but I think it's you know something that we imagine he'll be able to get on top of. Three races in, yeah, it's Hamilton two, Verstappen one. I don't know. After that, are you concerned that maybe Hamilton's it has got the upper hand and it might just end up walking away with it like he has done for so long now? I, I have to be honest. I'm always concerned when Hamilton gets his nose ahead. It's it just seems to inspire something in him. I'd love to see him come from behind, uh, similar to how he had to do against Vettel a couple of years back. It would be nice. It would be nice to see because I think it would give us all a bit of a okay. This could genuinely be a title fight. And it's eight points. It's eight points after three races. There are another feels like a million and twenty races still to go before the championship will be decided. But you kind of feel those eight points, that might already be a gap too big for Max. But, you know, on the one hand, you got to say, I mean, Max is tenacious. I don't see him. I don't see him dropping his head in this. I think it's going to be more of a case of him and Red Bull just going, okay, this one wasn't ours. Heading to Spain next. Maybe. Let's see. But. Yeah, I really hope this isn't a sign of uh, of the championship being over, which, again, as I said, is ridiculous to even suggest, given that it's three races and eight points. But just Hamilton is really good when his nose is in front. Yeah, it, it says it all about just how good Hamilton is and how good, you know, that, that team up of Hamilton and Mercedes is, that it's eight points. But I think, and we're definitely not the only ones to look at it and think, uh, as he just pulling away with it now. I mean, you know, that is a gap that Verstappen will close in the next race if he wins and gets fastest lap. You know, if they, even if Hamilton came second, they'd then be uh, level on points. So, yeah, it's not a big gap, but oh, it's just, you know, you look at races like that for Hamilton, you look at how well he and the team works together and you think, yeah, it's a big ask for Max. Um if he is to do it, if he is to catch Hamilton, he probably will end up needing some help from his teammate. And on that part, there are encouraging signs. I think um, Perez probably looked, well, he looked a lot better than he did in Imler, at least. You know, he started P4, finished P4. I think it cost him a bit at the start. He ended up getting stuck behind Sainz and then Norris. So he lost touch with the front three. But um, yeah, then he went long in his tyres, made mediums last well over 50 laps which is pretty unbelievable um and in the end it did it did prove to be a pretty handy you know alternate strategy to go for for Red Bull I mean um yeah it's good signs for Chaco isn't it it definitely is I mean what you gotta remember is Sergio Perez has been in the car for three races Valtteri Bottas has been in the car for four years and yet you're feeling already like Perez is the stronger driver um, it was, like you said, the start that unfortunately undid him. He lost the position to Carlos Sainz. On the restart after the safety car, he passed Sainz only to then get taken by Lando Norris. Some question as to whether that was a legal move or not. But uh, a couple of laps later, he was back in front of Norris. But unfortunately, like you say, his his race was then done. You know, Red Bull went for the long strategy uh, in the hope of maybe that there'd be another safety car or maybe he could hold up Hamilton as Hamilton came charging. But, yeah, his tyres were 52 laps old. I think Hamilton's were about seven. It, it wasn't even a, a vague competition. But well done to Perez. I mean, that's two top five results where he's finished. Uh, he's already showing to be the stronger teammate that Max has had since Daniel Ricciardo in 2018. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, looking at qualifying as well, where you... 
you would have expected Verstappen to kind of wipe the floor with him. Um, and that hasn't been the case. Obviously, Perez uh, got P2 ahead of Verstappen in Imola qualifying. And then, yeah, on Saturday in Portimao, he was, I think, a tenth off Verstappen. I, I know that Verstappen in both Imola and Portimao actually didn't have the best lap that actually counted. But even so, it still feels like Perez is already a lot closer to Max in terms of outright pace than Gasly or Albon ever were. And yeah, in terms of race day, I mean, he finished, I think, maybe six seconds behind Bottas. And I'm pretty sure he lost about 10 seconds stuck behind Sainz and Norris early on. So you think if he if he, if he he could have avoided that, then yeah, he might have been well in the mix for a podium, um, which is, yeah, pretty exciting going forward, I think, you know, to have all four drivers well in the mix. But uh I, it already feels like Bottas and Perez are going to play the role of number two, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that was decided perhaps even before the start of the season. Um, I don't think there was, fair to say, a hope in hell of Valtteri Bottas being in the title fight this year. Um, given that Hamilton's going for number eight, I think Mercedes would have prioritised the Brit. And also the fact that he has proven that he can do it, whereas Bottas has unfortunately proven that he can't. So I think it's very much between Hamilton and Verstappen for the title. And yeah, Bordas and Perez will be the number twos. It's just a case of which number two is going to be stronger. Uh, give it a couple more races. I reckon probably about another three races. And the, the stronger number two, without a doubt, I'll put my head on the chopping block and say will be Perez. I hope so. I hope you're right. Because yesterday, Verstappen, Hamilton, Bottas became the most regular podium trio in the history of Formula One, which says a lot about the last few years. I think they've been in the podium 16 times now, which is more than any other three drivers. So, yeah, it would definitely be nice to have someone come in and mix that up a bit. Yeah, fingers crossed. But eight points between Hamilton and Verstappen on to Spain. It's, uh, yeah, it's looking good. Moving on from the fight at the front, we have briefly mentioned uh, Lando Norris for getting in Sergio Perez's way. And, um, well, again, I think he was probably the standout driver of the race, which you could feasibly argue for every three, uh, for each of the first three races of the season. I mean, in each of them, he's finished in the top five. He's finished as the best of the rest in all of them. I mean, it's just an immensely impressive start to the year for him, isn't it? I'm super impressed with Lando Norris. I mean, you got to remember at the beginning of this year, teaming up with Daniel Ricciardo, we all kind of went, well, Danny Rick's going to take this one. And Lando has just come through and absolutely destroyed him. And again, I get it's three races for for Danny Rick in a new car, in a new team. But Lando Norris is just shining above and beyond everybody else. He's not quite getting it right in qualifying. I think he's been behind a Ferrari in all three qualifying sessions. But when it comes to the race, he has the better pace. So again, this weekend, beat Charles Leclerc. I think the gap was about five seconds or so. Uh, as you say, finished best of the rest in the race. He's third in the championship. I mean, he's third ahead in the championship, ahead of Valtteri Bottas and ahead of Sergio Perez. And I get both Perez and Bottas have had their troubles, but on paper, he's third in the championship ahead of two of the strongest cars in the field. So well done to him. I mean, it's it's going to be absolutely phenomenal to see if he can hold on to the position. I doubt he'll be able to hold on to third as the season goes on. But I, I reckon as things are shaping up right now, Lando Norris could finish this year's championship best of the rest. And well done to him. 21 years old, bright future ahead. Be fantastic to watch. 
Yeah, and he's got he's got all of his points and all of his results on merit so far. Really, you know, he hasn't he hasn't exactly lucked into anything. He's always been there uh, and fairly comfortably as always. Had a bit of a gap to the rest in the midfield. Um, you know, Leclerc's been the closest to him and has been better in qualifying. But yeah, Norris he definitely looks like the strongest midfield driver at the moment. Which yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't expect. You know, he's he's had a good first two seasons. But he was beaten by Carlos Sainz in both of them. And I never looked at him and thought, you know, that's kind of a, a top world-class driver already. You know, I thought, yeah, I thought Ricardo was going to come in and beat him fairly comfortably. But, yeah, it's been the opposite so far. Um, do you think that's going to last? Or do you think it's kind of Ricardo getting to grips with the car and once he's more comfortable, he'll uh, he'll get the upper hand in that? Yeah, Danny Rick's the Grand Prix winner. He's a guy who's proven himself time and time again. I think he will I think he will come good as the season goes on. The question is just how long is it gonna take him, you know? Um, the McLaren's known for being a bit of a tricky car to to find that sweet spot. Like you said, Norris has been in it for three years, Danny Rick's been in it for, for three races. But yeah, you know, you don't you don't become someone of Danny Daniel Ricardo's caliber without being able to adjust. The question is, is it going to take him half a season or a full season? That, that unfortunately, is up to him. Yeah, it, it comes down to that. I mean, he hasn't really had a clean weekend yet. Um, well, clean, you know, he hasn't had any crashes or anything, but he's always kind of seemed to struggle on either Saturday or Sunday. You know, this time around, it was Saturday. He was really poor. Went out in Q1. Um and then on Sunday, he was a lot better again. He fought his way up to P9. I mean, so there are encouraging signs there. But, um, yeah, I mean, just looking, though, at how how Ricardo's doing, at how Vettel's doing. Obviously, Sainz had a poor race yesterday, dropped out of the points. I mean, it really does show how difficult it is to adjust to a new car. Yeah, I mean, they're, again, I mean, especially in Vettel and, and Daniel Ricciardo's cases, they're both drivers who, who have have race wins behind their belt, you know. Sergio Perez has won. But you kind of feel like Carlos Sainz is actually the one who's doing better in the adjusting. But like you said, he had an absolute nightmare on Sunday. Started inside the top ten and uh, landed up dropping six places to finish six. I mean, it was, it was a bit of a horrendous one for him. But, yeah, these drivers are taking their time to adjust. And it's it's weird because... It's not like it's a it's a new formula. Yes, I get it's a new car. I get it's a new team, a new way of operating and stuff. But a lot of these cars, if you if you look at them on paper, they're they're pretty similar, and yet these guys are really struggling. So, be interested to see who gets who gets it right first. When I think back, I don't seem to remember drivers struggling as much as this in new cars. You know, I I, I think a lot of seasons they kind of step into new cars and they're pretty comfortable straight away. And I expected that to be the case this year because, yeah, like you said, the cars aren't particularly different. You know, the the, the regulation changes were largely frozen. And, you know, it is a different car, but at the end of the day, you know, the, 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 the difference between all of the cars on the grid now is probably smaller than, than most years, which, yeah, it makes you realise why teams are pretty reluctant to get a new driver in for 2022, doesn't it? You know, because... That's with radically different cars. I think it'd probably be a real struggle. Um, but yeah, I mean, one driver who looked pretty pretty happy in his surroundings yesterday in his new car was Fernando Alonso. And he started down in, I think, P14, didn't make it to Q3, beaten by Esteban Ocon, second race in a row. 
But um, he was absolutely rapid in the race. I mean, especially in that second stint, he was, well, I, I th- the quickest driver in the midfield, I think. And he ended up fighting his way to P8, um, outpacing Ricardo, overtaking him pretty comfortably. It was, uh, I think it was a relief to see that from Alonso because there were a few worries creeping in that he was maybe past his best after after Ocon got the better of him in two Saturdays in a row. But um, no, it looks all good for him now. <laughs> It does. You know, again, a strange thing to say after just two races, but yes, there were some concerns that uh, maybe this wasn't the Alonso of old, the one that could win world titles and was tenacious to the very end. Got beaten in qualifying. Again, his last season in Formula One, I think it was 21-0 against Stoffel van Dorn in qualifying. And yet, like you say, his second race in a row, he lost out to Esteban Ocon. Uh, he came on afterwards and said he was angry. He was angry with that result that things had not had not gone according to plan on the Saturday, and came out firing. Uh, with 10 to go, he was running in 11th place uh, on Sunday, and then just, oh, his speed at the end of the race was incredible. So past Pierre Gasly, Daniel Ricciardo finished in 8th place, one place behind Ocon. Um, I think the difference was a second, something like that, and yet they started quite a few positions apart. Um, Ocon was 6th on the grid, Alonso was 13th. And yet at the end of the day, there was just a second separating them. So I'm really hoping that this will be the result that, that spurs Alonso on. Yeah, like you said, he made three passes in 10 laps. Looks much quicker than Daniel Ricciardo, which was a surprise because that McLaren's been quicker all year, really. Um, and I think with with another three laps, he probably would have got Ocon as well. Now, he was helped, though, by the fact that he did have a much better car this weekend. He didn't didn't fully utilize it in uh, qualifying, but made the most of it come the race. Um, Ocon looked pretty comfortable in P7 for, mo- for the entirety of the race as well. I mean, yeah, in terms of teams leaving Portugal, I think Alpine are probably going to be happiest, aren't they? They were, yeah, last year as Renault, they were fighting for P3 in the constructors. And this year it looked like McLaren, Ferrari, Alfa Tauri were all comfortably ahead of them. But um yeah, it does look like they've closed that gap uh, up ahead to... I mean, it looks like they're quicker than AlphaTauri in this race and weren't too far off McLaren and Ferrari either. Yeah, it was a good it was a good race for them. Um, like you said, both drivers in the points. They moved up to, I think, fifth in the championship. AlphaTauri had no response to, to the Alpines. Um, finished ahead of Carlos Sainz as well. It, it was a really good race, and it, it bodes well for the future. I mean, it would be awesome to see four, maybe even five, if Aston Martin can figure things out, teams fighting for best of the rest. But yeah, right now, I mean, that's McLaren's. That's definitely McLaren's. Yeah, I think they've got a pretty pretty hefty gap to Ferrari, thanks to, uh, well, thanks to Lando Norris, really, to put it bluntly. Um, yeah, I mean, it, what is going to be important in that battle is which of the teams has two top drivers performing. McLaren aren't there yet because Ricardo's struggling. Ferrari, yeah, I think Sainz has generally looked good. He just forgot to manage his tyres yesterday. He, you know, tried to get Lando Norris at the start of his second scene and just destroyed his mediums pretty early on, basically. In terms of Alpine, the drivers, Ocon ahead of Alonso, two two races in a row, two qualifying sessions in a row. Has he made big steps forward since last year, do you reckon? Or is this a case of Alonso's not at his best yet? I think this is probably more of a case of Alonso's not at his best yet. He's uh, he's going to work his way forward. Uh, I still 
I still will bet on him finishing ahead of Ocon in this year's championship. But having said that, Ocon has a lot to fight for. This is his second year at Alpine, um, as we understand at the last year of the contract as well. There's still niggling rumours that the team could be interested in putting Pierre Gasly in the car if Ocon doesn't shine. So there's a lot for the Frenchman to do this season. And, I mean, what a feather in anyone's cap to say, I beat Fernando Alonso in the same equipment. So, yeah, let's see what he has to do. But as I said, I'd be I'd be surprised if he manages to stay ahead of Alonso in the long term. Yeah, it, it would be, yeah that'd be a massive shock. I mean, the last person to beat Alonso in the same car was Jensen Button back in, I think, 2016. And that was pretty lucky in that Alonso's car just did not work all year, effectively. <laughs> so, and, you know, obviously before that, no one came close to it at Ferrari. No one really came close to it at Renault. Um, I think Hamilton, at McLaren obviously matched Alonso, but that was it. I mean, yeah, beating Fernando Alonso in the same car is a seriously big achievement. And to be honest, even if Ocon doesn't do it, I think if he comes close, I'd say he's done enough to, to keep that seat. You know, if he performs at the level he's at now for the rest of the year, I mean, you know, he, he passed Pierre Gasly yesterday. And I remember watching that thinking... You know, that would feel like a big move on his part. I mean, yeah, I think at this rate he is doing enough to keep his seat. But, yeah, it's still early days. A lot can change, obviously. Um, well, moving down from the midfield to the back markers, the standout driver there for the first time this year, really, it was, um, well, yeah, the biggest talking point even. It wasn't George Russell like it usually is. It was Mick Schumacher because... Yeah, on paper, P17 isn't a particularly good result. But um, given the car he had and given the fact that he did overtake Nicholas Latifi on track fair and square. That was, um, yeah, it was a pretty good race on his part. Oh, it was a fantastic race for Mick. I mean, like you say, back marker, strange to say, great, really good race. But a huge step for him because instead of just leading Nikita Mazepin around the racetrack, he was actually fighting other drivers. So a huge learning step for him. Didn't put a wheel wrong. He had a great Sunday. Beats, like you say, beat Nicholas Latifi. Awesome pass. I think everything Mick is doing at the moment is just showing that he, he could actually be one to watch for the future. I know there's a lot of people who kind of feel like it's the Schumacher name that might be getting him here. Um, but, you know, everything you hear from, from Gunther Steiner is this is a kid who's willing to work for it. And to the nth degree, he takes nothing for granted, not the name, not the fact that he's even in Formula One. He's doing everything he can to push himself and to push the team as hard as possible. P17, full lap ahead of Nikita on the day as well. Mick is unfortunately showing that Nikita really is nothing more than a pay driver. And I feel bad about saying that. I mean, he's a young kid. He needs to have a chance. But Mick was half a second ahead of him in qualifying in the same cars. It's just, it's bonkers. And then, like you say, to beat Nicholas Latifi, to beat the Williams. And Williams is a team that is showing that they're on the, they're moving forward. They're taking steps forward. But, yeah, well done to Mick. I mean, just hats off to the kid. The difference when Gunther Steiner talks about Mick Schumacher and talks about Nikita Mazepin is really noticeable. I mean, Steiner isn't, he's not the kind of team principal that's going to glowingly praise his drivers all the time. I mean, God, I, I think... Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean would back me up there. Um, but when he talks about Mick Schumacher, he's he's glowing in his praise, you know, about how 
hard Schumacher works about how quickly he's learning things, you know, and how steady he is. Um, and it sounds genuine, whereas I think when Steiner defends Mazepin, because that's usually what he has to do, it kind of sounds like someone's holding the gun to his head and saying, praise Nikita. <laughs> you know? um, I, yeah, I think the difference between the two of them really is clear, um, which, yeah, unfortunately isn't a good thing for Mazepin at all. Because, I mean, not only is he getting completely, you know, destroyed by his teammate, but, I mean, his teammate's also a rookie. I don't think... Schumacher's pace is where uh, where Magnussen and Grosjean were last year. Yeah, you know, I think he'd he's still fairly comfortably probably slower than them, and yet he's still half a second ahead of Mazepin. I mean, I think we are getting an answer to that question now, aren't we? Of whether Mazepin's a pay driver or not. Yeah, like I said, I feel bad about it. I mean, he's a young kid who who still has a lot to learn, but. I mean, when you get shown the blue flag like five times and still don't move over, then you, you can expect to be called an idiot. Um, I have absolutely no qualms with Sergio Perez calling that, calling him that. But the kid has literally walked away from every Grand Prix weekend with a rival driver or two having a complaint against him. Yes, you're learning. But you learn about blue flags in junior series. You learn about the etiquette of racing in junior series. When is when is it going to sink in with this kid? Yes, he's stone last, and by by some considerable margin, it must be very frustrating. He is getting a lot of flack from off track and on track antics, but for heaven's sake, just learn. It's not that difficult. Yeah, no, I think he's in the slowest car on the grid. He's a rookie. No one's gonna no one's gonna judge him that poorly if he is last every race. You know, he just has to. What he has to do really is get closer to his teammate for one um, and stay out of trouble. That's the main thing. He needs to stay out of trouble, kind of just uh, stop making headlines, I guess, because at the moment he does, for someone who's in the slowest car on the grid, stone dead last, he is still um, drawing a lot of attention to himself and not for the right reasons, you know, obviously. I mean, in qualifying and in races so far, he's ended up blocking drivers or overtaking them, you know, when you really shouldn't have been in qualifying. I mean, I don't think it, it's not like I, you know, I'm not getting any kind of enjoyment out of seeing him struggle, you know. Obviously, you don't want that. He is at the end of the day still, he's just a, a young person in his dream job. But yeah, he does really need to need to pick things up. I mean, have to get it at least within a couple of tanks of your rookie teammate, I think, to really kind of, you know, suggest that you're there by merit. But yeah, that was that really. I mean, there's not too much else to talk about. Obviously, George Russell, you know, I think uh, P11 in qualifying, there was a lot to mention there, but his race fell down the order, ended up P16. Um, and yeah, not too much good to say about that, really. In terms of that battle of the bat markers, it looks like, I don't know, it's a weird one. It looks like Alfa Romeo comfortably got the better of Williams uh, again after after things looked a bit different in Emila. Yeah, Alfa Romeo seem to have the advantage in that one. Um, I think they just missed out on the points. Yeah, Antonio Giovinazzi was 12. Kimi Raikkonen decided this was not a day that he felt like racing, so he he quit the race quite early. Uh, I mean, that was a bit of a nightmare mistake. There's nothing quite like driving into your teammates on the opening lap for pretty much absolutely no reason. But Alfa Romeo were comfortably ahead of Williams and Haas. 
Um, judging on Sunday's race, and I mean you can't you can't base an entire season on Sunday's race. It doesn't look like Williams or Haas will be scoring this season, uh, but Alfa Romeo will. Yeah, yeah, Giovinazzi really good actually. You mentioned him, a P12 he got in qualifying and in the race looked really solid. Um, and yeah, in terms of Haas, I, I I do think this is yeah I, I think this season is maybe gonna make people realise. I don't know, look more favourably upon Magnussen and Grosjean, who both scored a point in that car last season, you know. That just does kind of, you know, I think uh, people might realise that they were actually a lot better than than everyone gave them credit for. Um, next up, it's that's the best thing, is, you know, when you don't have a great race, when there's one the week afterwards, you know, it feels like we've had sl- such a slow start to the year, having to wait three weeks and then two weeks for races. But, um, yeah, next up, one week, the thrilling circuit in Catalonia. I mean, uh Oh, that'll be that'll be even better than Portugal, right? <laughs> um, let's go with yes, just so we can build a bit of an excitement. It's going to be an absolute humdinger between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. There won't be a repeat of Lewis Hamilton's 24-second victory last season, a race in which he lapped everyone except Max and Bottas. <laughs> Not going to happen this year. This year it's going to be a lot closer. It's going to be a lot of excitement. And I think I might be dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every year we go to Catalonia and I just feel like, how is this still on the calendar? I mean, I can't remember a good race here since 2016 when Verstappen won his first race at Red Bull. And that was just because Hamilton and Rosberg took each other out. So, um, yeah, Lewis, Valtteri, do us a favour, take each other out at the start and then we might get some excitement, you know. <laughs> but uh, it can't get it can't get much more dull, at least. Um, it's Spain. It could be. I mean, let's be honest. It could be. The only exciting thing to look forward to is Sergio Perez was fifth last season at the Spanish Grand Prix in the Racing Point, now the Aston Martin. It's a track where he, he normally does quite well. I'd be interested to see if he can reach the podium. Uh, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like you said, last year Hamilton lapped everyone but Verstappen and Bottas. I mean... That should be one difference this year. He he shouldn't lap the, the second Red Bull either, you know, so that'll be something. Well, thanks for coming on today, Michelle. It's always a pleasure, Finley. And uh, yes, we'll be back here next week to discuss that thrilling race that is Catalonia. You know, I, I do hope we're wrong and maybe maybe we'll surprise ourselves and actually have a great one on our hands. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. In the meantime, you can keep an eye on everything that we're doing on planetf1.com. Um, and follow us on social media our Facebook is Planet F1 and our Twitter is Planet underscore F1 so um, yeah check us out there if you're enjoying the podcast then do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and we'll see you next week bye Looking to upgrade your technology? At Harvey Norman, we have the biggest brands in stock today. Like the Samsung Galaxy Book S laptop with Intel Core i5 processor. Now only 919 save 280 euro. Or get the Samsung Galaxy Watch Active. Packed full of features to help you reach your fitness goals. Now only 159 save 30 euro. And this bank holiday weekend, we're matching all competitors' prices. Call in store or shop online today. Harvey Norman, your technology specialists. Podcast Network.